Well, welcome to episode four of season two of Cusism alongside Jesse Cook. I'm Chile Casio Dele. Um, well, Syracuse fell on Saturday to Florida State 33 to 30 on a game winning field goal for the Seminoles. It was an interesting game of sorts. No, it wasn't. It was a bad game. It was an interesting game. Listen, Florida State sucks. <laughs> Syracuse still lost to them, but I think. There were, again, flashes. The one thing I kind of want to talk about is just how the offense seems to not be able to throw the ball at all. It is very one-dimensional. Well, it's funny you should say that because Corey Jackson and Anthony Queeley both had career highs as far as receiving yards. Now, those are young careers. Also, relatively speaking, we never throw the ball at all. Yeah, but it is funny because I, I do have the same exact point, that Syracuse needs a consistent passer. But it is funny because those guys, I mean, this is a career high for them. And Garrett Schrader, by the way, most rushing yards in his career, 148, trounces his 125-yard record that he had with uh, uh, Mizzou, but, uh, Mississippi State, sorry. And, uh, yeah, they need a passer. Is that Tommy DeVito? No, it's not Tommy DeVito, because he tries to be a mobile quarterback as well. What sets Schrader apart from DeVito in that respect is that Schrader actually is a mobile quarterback. Tommy DeVito runs with lead in his shoes and says he can sprint. So <laughs> there, there's, no, there's no debate over who the quarterback should be at this point. It's just how do you transform Schrader into that passer? How do you get him those reps? Well, how about Schrader yesterday? You see him burst for that 55-yard touchdown. You know, again, him showing his agility under center at the goal line again. You know, we saw that in last week's game, and we saw it yesterday with him being able to jump over the pile again for a touchdown. He's just a completely, his his level of agility, his level of speed just completely eclipses Tommy DeVito in my opinion. Well, have you ever seen Garrett Schrader with, without the beard and the hair? I've not. I have. You look at his Max Preps profile and all his recruiting stuff. He looks like a completely different person. He look, Right now, he kind of looks like some pudgy country boy. He was, like, chiseled in high school. Actually? It's insane. Oh he's got God. the buzz cut. He's got, like, these darting eyes. We need to, we need to look up the internet. Uh... Completely different person. <laughs> oh, my god! It's gosh. insane. Will I be able to find something of him in oh, time? Oh, yeah, you will. You will. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up for you. Garrett Schrader High School. And let, let's see what we get. Let's see what we get. Look at this guy. I know you're, you're listening to us, but I'm going to describe in detail. That's Garrett Schrader? Yes, it is. No so way. He's got like short kind of quaffed hair. Looks a little like a Kennedy. <laughs> he's got absolutely no hair on his face. Chiseled chin, everything. Like these steely-eyed looks. And short hair. It's a completely different person. And I think that's what he... Uh, I mean, he was more of a passer at Mississippi State. This is what he sacrificed to become the mobile quarterback. He is. He needed the flow. Interesting point. That's a very good point there. <laughs> what is it? What does that have to do with anything? I don't know. <laughs> but um, one thing I do want to talk about, I mean, Schrader did try passing a couple of times, but you just don't see him able to 
connect with his receivers. And I just don't know when we're going to see it, whether it's going to be something that takes time as you develop more, more uh, time with your players in practice, or if it's just something that's never going to be there until next year and it's something with him. You saw the goal line play with Mang that he overthrew that, and then he also had Cooper downfield, and he's over, he overthrows him there. So, I mean, what do you think the key is to – straight at having better timing on throws like that. Because this has been this has been something that's been characteristic of him throughout these first few weeks of the season, where he has receivers that are open, some of them wide open, but he's missing these throws. I mean, I, firstly, I want to say that this has been on my mind for a couple of weeks, that it's not the O-line. Because, I mean, we saw with Tommy Vito last year alone that he got sacked, I believe, more than twice in Rex Culpepper and Jacoby and Morgan in half the games. So... It's not a problem with the O-line. I mean, you can always go back to DeVito being bad at maneuvering. So Schrader, it's not that he doesn't have the time, because he does. It's just confidence. He needs to be more confident on the field. He needs to be more confident in the pocket. He's got the idea that he's Lamar Jackson, that he needs to make, he needs to make some fantastic running play out of everything. And that's not always the case. Granted, it's worked. It's worked for him in recent weeks. But he needs to be a little more confident throwing the ball. And if that means that he needs to get a couple picks, that he's going to throw a couple picks, then so be it. Because whatever it takes for a quarterback to be confident and be your number one, that's what you need. Now, Syracuse had the chance to take this game away. You see that Deuce Chestnut pick. That could have been the catalyst for something to come along. But, I mean, credit to Florida State again and their quarterback, uh, Jordan Travis. He was very mobile on the field, but I think something that's gonna sit and something that lives rent-free in our heads is that terrible no-call on the holding of Marlowe Wax on that play in the fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter, that basically sent Florida State into great field goal position to basically win the game. I don't like to, to blame one non-call for it, I think I got my fill of that after Game 5 of the 2019 Stanley Cup Finals, <laughs> where when Nolachari was uh, sent basically into the stands, no call. But th- 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 beside the point, I feel like generally, at this level, you're, the game should not be hinging on that. Especially when it's Syracuse, 3-1, and one, against 0-4 Florida State. There's no reason that the game should have even come down to a play like that. So, I don't blame the referees for that game. I blame the poor time management skills of Syracuse and the poor the poor passing and the worst defense we've seen from this team all year. I agree our time management should have been better. Again, Jordan Travis, this was not the first time he was able to escape the pocket. You know, again, he's also a very mobile quarterback and Syracuse defense just couldn't stop him. And like I've said, I've said this in previous episodes, this has been a pattern for Syracuse's defense. They're able to get big stops sometimes, of course, when necessary. But a lot of the times, a lot of these tackles are unfinished. And that is leading to some of these quarterbacks, some of these running backs going and bursting for big yards at a time, whether it's 20, 30 yards, because Syracuse collapses down. The entire defense collapses on the quarterback, and they miss him. They miss the quarterback, and there he goes out of the pocket, blitzing for 30 yards, moving down the field for 30 yards. So. That, that's completely understandable. What I'm saying here also is that, especially with Syracuse, 
there have been so many ticky-tack fouls called in all of these Syracuse games. Like, we're watching this stuff on TV. We're seeing it at the games. The refs are just throwing the flags, throwing the flags, throwing the flags. So we don't let 50 flags a game. But here's the thing. A lot of those calls that they throw flags on, some of them are blatant, don't get me wrong. Some of them are ticky-tack. You know, why do you have to throw it there? So I just want the same standard to be held in this situation as it was in other situations. Like, this was not even a debate. That was a clear holding penalty, and it should have been called, and Florida State should not have gotten, like, 30 yards off of that. They should have been put back. That's ridiculous. That has to be called, especially... In the time of the game and how big that play is, it's a clear penalty, and you've got to call it. I think it's kind of ironic that this is – it's like karma that this happened because just a few weeks ago, we we spent our three-minute drill talking about how we should get rid of certain penalties, and I spent a full minute ranting about holding and how that needs to go. So – after the Liberty game where I said there would be 15,000 fans or fewer – after this game with holding, I'm convinced that maybe I should stop making predictions. Maybe I should just stop talking. I feel like those listeners would get a kick out of it. Yeah, you're just routinely wrong on <laughs> everything. Last week you were wrong. The week before you were wrong. I mean, sometimes you weren't even wrong, but I'm just going to say you're wrong just for the sake of saying you're wrong. Yeah, that's fair. I, yeah, I believe you. Uh, another thing that went wrong for Syracuse in that game was game planning. They game plan for uh, McKenzie Milton. How do you not prepare for the backup quarterback as well? How can – look, I, I understand you go into this with the mindset that you're playing against an 0-4 team. Maybe you don't have to prepare the same way you would for that Liberty game, for Clemson, or for Wake Forest later this week. But come on, that is basic. You have to be able to adapt to whoever goes out there. Baseball, they've got charts on every pitcher, regardless of the game going in. Football – any coach worth his salary prepares for the backup quarterback, prepares for the third-string quarterback. You have to have a game plan. Dino had no game plan for Jordan Travis. Yeah, that was very obvious, right? I think Syracuse's they, they just, like you said, they were not ready for Jordan Travis to come in this game. And if you look at the prep over previous weeks and whatnot, this team just seems to not have – their, their their work done, you know, when it comes to when it comes to players and when it comes to the quarterbacks. Um, Jordan Travis, he like you mentioned Lamar Jackson earlier. He looked like Lamar Jackson yesterday at times. He just say, well, his ability to scramble out of the pocket and whatnot. And the Syracuse defense, like I said, they got caught slacking. They weren't able to make tackles when they need open field tackles. Yeah, you know. And then when you collapse and you've got somebody pinned in the quarter, you've got to finish that. You've got to close. You got to close down. You got to close it off. You got to make sure that if you're moving him back, you're able to go and get him. Not have him able to escape the pocket outside here and bust for 30, 40 yards. It can't happen. And there's a lot of reasons why Syracuse lost this game yesterday. The defense, the defense's inability to to stop these big runs that Florida State had was definitely. In my opinion, the biggest factor in that. Yeah, how do you go from Michael Jones getting eight solo tackles against Liberty with a projected number one overall pick to this, the backup quarterback for an 0-4 team, Trouncey? I also think, though, a lot of people in Syracuse 
kind of underestimated Florida State. Florida State is an okay team, but I think a lot of people were high. A lot of people were high on Syracuse after they beat Liberty and they were like, oh yeah, totally, this is going to be such an easy game. We're going to destroy the living daylights. I think prowess still matters. And I think that coming into this week, I knew Syracuse had the chance to win this game. And clearly on paper, they had the chance to win this game. But I'm also not too surprised that Florida State did pull this out. I'm not too surprised by that. I'm very surprised. I thought this should have been a sure thing for Syracuse. You know, something that we haven't talked about, a name that we usually mention at least 60 times a, a podcast that we haven't brought up once thus far is Sean Tucker. This was, for him, a down week, but he still had 102 rushing yards. Granted, he was not the leader. Garrett Trader had 137. I got that number wrong earlier. But what does that mean that this is a quote-unquote bad week for Sean Tucker but the illustrator of Irving Avenue still broke triple digits. I really wonder if the weather was played a difference yesterday. I mean, you saw the picture, and for those of you listening, there's a picture that ACC Network showed yesterday with Sean Tucker basically looking like he was, like, dead on the bench yesterday. <laughs> but, again, they did mention, the broadcasters did mention yesterday that Syracuse was basically sitting in the heat the whole game, you know. And around here in central New York, it has gotten colder over the past week or so. So I think I really do wonder if weather was a little bit of a factor in how the team played yesterday, having to go from here, which has been relatively cooler, and going all the way down to to Florida, in which it it was very warm. So do you think that had anything to play? I I feel like weather usually plays a pretty good role. Usually I, I think it's that it's southern teams coming up north and having to fight the cold because usually you, you enjoy the heat a little bit but yeah it was above 80 degrees at game time yesterday yeah and i think that florida humidity is also something that you have to deal with too right like me personally i i mean i can deal with the heat if it's a dry heat i could probably deal with it but once you add humidity into the factor it's a very different scenario so i think coming from the northeast where at this time of the year, the humidity is very low and it's starting to get cool and going out to somewhere like Florida, which very hot, very humid, that, that can mess with you. That sticky atmosphere of being in that high humidity, that can mess with you, and I certainly think. While, again, a lot of it was Syracuse's making dumb mistakes, uh, missing throws, not making tackles, I think that the weather could also play the factor in it as well. Yeah, I... Weather can play a huge factor. I remember just from youth baseball camp in Massachusetts, those hot days, it gets out above 90 degrees. You're sitting there. Well, I was sitting there. I don't know about you, but I'm sitting there. And those layers of catcher's gear, it gets to you. It affects your performance. Of course, I was 13 at the time. This is six years ago. However, from experience, it does make a difference. And anyone who's ever had to do anything with pads, in, in direct sunlight can tell you. I mean, you know, you played high school football. Yeah. You were a lineman. Mm-hmm. So on those hot days, when you're going up there trying to bash into someone else to get to the quarterback or protect your quarterback, it it's, it's crazy. And thank goodness I played in Pennsylvania, right? Because, I mean, if you go down towards the south, it gets progressively more and more and more humid. I was in North Carolina a few years ago, and 
It was like maybe 92 degrees. It, the humidity made it feel like 110. It was so bad. So yeah, that definitely played a factor yesterday. And uh, But, <coughs> parents weekend next weekend, or this upcoming weekend. That'll be fun. I can't wait to have my parents up here. I most likely will not be at that game. I will be covering women's ice hockey for Citrus TV. Well, they're, they're looking pretty good. I like that Allison Small is back. Because there was a little bit of a goalie question at the end of last season. I mean, there still is a goalie question. Yeah, Amelia Van Vliet, who got her reps in, is not the number two option. Yeah. Like, Ariel Desmet really has stepped into that role over the past two days. So they played against St. Lawrence on both Friday and Saturday. And they lost 4-2-1 on Saturday. They t- excuse me, on Friday. They tied 2-2. Yesterday, uh, at the time we're taping this, it was Saturday. So this was a team that on Friday really struggled to come out of the gates. And you kind of saw that. I kind of wrote in my articles this week that it's kind of been a microcosm of last year, last year's season as a whole. Syracuse comes out very slow and they start to come back and they start to speed up, but it's just not enough to get them there. We saw that last season. They lose a bunch of games in the first. They end up winning seven straight heading into the playoffs. And then they make it to the CHA finals only to lose. You know, this is a team, I mean, I know it's preseason, but when they played RPI in that preseason game, they started slow, tried to get up. They had their hearts broken with a couple minutes left in the third period. Uh, Friday was kind of similar. Uh, They got down 2-0. They tried to come back. Abby Milani. Scored. She has two goals this season. And, and Milani, queen, 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 queen. <laughs> but it just wasn't enough for them as they lost. And then on Saturday, you had you actually had Syracuse score first. Um, Which uh, was not a common theme I last know, year. It's very, very uncommon. And then you see, you see um, St. Lawrence, the Saints, come back with two. And then Syracuse is able to tie the game. But, I mean, let me tell you, this overtime yesterday that they played was like, St. Lawrence had a 2-1-0 chance that Desmond was able to save. And again, a lot of these players were tired, don't get me wrong, but it was a very exciting overtime that, that took place yesterday. Either way, no team scored. It ended up in a 2-2 tie. But I think the team, I think they played better in the second game, and I guess that's a very good sign heading into Clarkson this week. So what you're saying is that Desmond is a really good backup option. She might be, like... Early, early on, she might be just another disciple of the greatest goaltender of all time, Jeremy Swayman. <laughs> I don't know, but we're just gonna. I just think we're gonna. I think Paul Flanagan's just gonna ride her at this point and see what happens. You know, I I yeah. can't pick into his brain. The media is not until Tuesday, so maybe that's a question I ask him then. But. I think at this point he's just gonna he's just gonna ride Desmond until until something goes completely wrong. And now talk about the loss of Jessica. De- well, it's not really a loss. She she graduated. But talk about the absence left by Jessica DiGirolamo and the rest of that senior roster. Oh, she's still here as a grad student. Oh, well, that's good to hear. Yeah. So talk about her continued presence. So I mean, yeah, this is a team that seems to have. Again, their seniors are, of course, contributing. And I think that's an interesting dynamic between them and St. Lawrence, particularly in that uh, 
second game because second game you had players like Christina Ball who really contributed on St. Lawrence so I think that that's an interesting dynamic between both of those teams in which the older guys on Syracuse are contributing or the older ladies should I say are contributing um, but you haven't really seen that many blossoms from some of the younger guys yet but St. Lawrence you have a lot of youth that are coming up and it's not just seniors doing everything. So I think Syracuse going forward needs to see some inch increasing contribution from some of the younger players if you want this to be a team that is complete. And I think complete is what they need right now. I think they've got a good young roster that's going to build a lot of chemistry going It'll forward. It'll take time. Don't get me wrong. Now, you mentioned the, the, the CHA championship last year, and I think that should take us into our three-minute drill because there's something amiss with Robert Morris. Yeah. Are we ready to start this one? Yeah, let's jump right into it. So, Jalei, your 60 seconds start right now. So, Robert Morris is a team that won the CHA last year, and they've won the CHA a number of times in the past few years, but they decided the university, which is located just outside of Pittsburgh, decided to cut both its men's and women's hockey programs. So the university, it's not a big university, about 4,500 students, but there's 55 athletes that are going to be essentially affected on it, and both teams, of course, were D1, and what's funny is that Robert Morris actually hosted the Frozen Four in Pittsburgh at PPG Paints Arena where the Penguins play. They, they were the last host team of the NCAA title. So that's really interesting that the university has decided to go and cut both of these teams here. But I hope, and I was hearing rumors that they may bring them back next year. Again, that would be terrible for Syracuse as this is a really good team. But then again, it also helps because Ariel Desmond is now ours. So. I'm not sure it's so terrible because what's going to happen in this year for Rod, for uh, Robert Morris's athletes? Either they're going to get soft after a year, or they're going to transfer elsewhere, and they're going to have to start their program over. This is a terrible move for them, but great for Syracuse, regardless of the outcome, because now they don't have to compete with that recruiting class, they don't have to compete with that team in general, and just going forward, if Robert Morris does bring it back, they're going to have a far softer team to play against. And it doesn't make sense. Why would you eliminate your programs? I understand budget, but come on. It's hockey, one of the best programs in the nation. I guess COVID must have done a lot to it, you know. And again, we're still reeling with the effects of this pandemic financially for a lot of people. And they're making decisions that may not be the most savory, but they're being made. What do you got? All right. My 60 seconds start right now. Baseball, we're talking game 163. The first official tie-breaking game was actually game 155 in 1946. And back when the schedule was 154 games. Then just five years later, Bobby Thompson made the tie-breaking game famous with the shot heard around the world for the New York Giants. It's 1978, Bucky Dent broke the hearts of Red Sox fans everywhere in a tiebreaker as he hit the, one of the most famous home runs of all time. 2007, Rockies and Padres game 163 ended in controversy over a safe call on the 13th. The last instance of game 163 took place in 2018 when there were two of them, and one of them offered Christian Yelich an extra chance to earn that triple crown, an opportunity he failed to take. And this season, there's a chance that another two. If the Red Sox can win today, they will host the wildcard game at Fenway Park. 
But if the Yankees lose and the Blue Jays and Mariners both win, there will be two wild card games in that American League. All right, two game 163s in that American League. And I'm so excited for that. Gillette, what do you got? This has been one of the most interesting baseball seasons in a long time. And at the time we're taping this, which is the day of 162, it's going to be down to the wire here. I'm personally, so my Phillies have been eliminated, of course, so I have no stake in the NL race. But I'm personally pulling for my second favorite team, the Blue Jays. Let's hope that Vladdy Jr., Bo Bichette, and the boys can get it done here by beating Baltimore on Sunday and hoping for a lot of other things to happen. I love, I love those extra games. And the fact that there could be a game 164 for one of these teams just makes it even wilder. Because who do you throw? This is exactly what baseball needed. Baseball needed this. You know, we... The MLB has has gotten a lot of criticism over the years for doing things that maybe a lot of these guys who worship the game for years don't like a lot of the things. People complain when they started letting all these younger players into the game. They were doing things like backflips and whatnot. But you have that passion. And it's also these teams starting to get better as well. Some of these teams, like look at Seattle right now, you know, for the first time, I think in my lifetime, we're seeing people fill T-Mobile Park in Seattle. So that's absolutely crazy. And you just love to see that. I don't think there's anything better with a big situation. Some of the scenes that we've been seeing out in Seattle with some of those big moments that the Mariners seem to be coming up with. Players like Mitch Haniger always coming up at the right times when they need to when they need to put runs across the plate. And just the fans going wild. It's just a beautiful thing to see. I don't think there's anything better than that in any other sport. The kind of reaction that you get from baseball fans of packed baseball house when it when it comes down yeah i was talking about this with liam griffin on his podcast the full court podcast yesterday or full court press but and it it's been what 21 years since the mariners last saw a playoff game these fans are hungry for it now it they it, their last playoff game was in the 21st century so it's not like the the bills breaking that rep Breaking that. That was in 2001, right? Yeah. So I wasn't alive then. I was not either. Yeah. So, or I think it must have been 2000. Even, even. Yeah. (laughs) That just shows you, you know. But it's crazy what these fans have been through. And yeah, they they haven't filled the stadium every week or for years. But now they are because they finally got something to root for again. And it's just a magical sight to see. And so what Liam and I were talking about was momentum, you know, how the Cardinals swooped in to take that second wild card after going on that insane winning streak and what type of chance they have. But the Mariners, they've got momentum and they've got the storybook ending at their back, which baseball loves to see. I mean, if you're a baseball fan, which would you rather see? Say you don't have any team affiliation. Would you rather see Red Sox-Yankees at Fenway or, or Yankee Stadium, depending on how it goes today, would rather see the Cinderella story of the Seattle Mariners. Frankly, I'd rather see the Mariners. I mean, granted, I'm pulling for Toronto in this wild card race that's currently going down the AL, but just getting to see a team that hasn't done it in such a long time, it's just there's something so exciting about that, you know? And I think we all like seeing the story of the underdog. I mean, if you think about it, this happens in the NHL quite a lot. 
going back to teams like the Blues, who were literally at the bottom of the league and come all the way out to win the Stanley Cup. You know, uh, granted, it's a little bit easier. It seems a little bit easier in hockey as a Cinderella story than in baseball because I think in baseball you can just simply get overpowered at times, even if you're a team that's hot. But Seattle is a team that's starting to catch fire at the right time. And in conversations with my father about baseball, that is always the key. It's not always the team with the best record. Good studies of this have been teams like the 2011 Phillies, teams like the Dodgers over the past few years. You know, the best team in the regular season almost always doesn't win the World Series. Look at the Marlins. Both of their World Series championships come as wild cards. Well, take a look at the New York Mets. Mm -hmm. They were in first place of that NL East for over 100 days, and they fall off. Take a look. I mean, actually, if you want the adverse opinion, you take a look at the Red Sox in 2018 in 108 games. San Diego Padres. But but there, there's another example of teams that were really good for most of the regular season. Or actually, the Padres really weren't. They were, they got hyped up. The, Madrid, the Padres just got a boatload of media hype that everybody fell into. But take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays from last year. Lowest payroll in baseball. They, they were a wild card team, I think. Well, they, I don't really... It worked differently last year. Yeah. Last but, year was just crazy. But they, they were not the top team. They made it all the way. And almost all the way, I should say. They made it to the most electrifying moment in baseball, sing, single moment in World Series lore of the past 10, 15 years. Listen, if Tampa Bay wins a World Series, I will not be unhappy because we already beat them once. So, <laughs> yeah. We got a player of the week this week. Yeah, we've, we've covered a lot of sports today. We went from football to hockey to baseball. Now we're taking it indoors to volleyball because Elena Karakasi, 80 assists over the past week against both Duke and Boston College. Or, correction, Wake, Wake Forest and Duke. Boston College was not so fun, but that was, that was more than a week ago. But 80 assists over the week against Duke and Wake Forest. And she leads the ACC in assists. In assists. So Elena Karakasi having a season of a lifetime and just personified during this past week. Great to see. And I've got your final word for this week. And of course, we've got to reel it back to football. Final word is incompetent. It's an adjective. (laughs) Its definition is lacking qualities necessary for effective conduct or action. Yeah. So the referees yesterday are lacking qualities necessary for effective conduct or action because you know what? They can't call a holding penalty. And that's all I'm going to say on that because I don't want to get in trouble, even though we don't have any bosses here. I just want to keep my conduct PG. So, incompetent is your final word of the week. And that is your final words of this episode. Yeah. Season, I guess. On, on that sour note, we'll take yeah. Have a good week, sir. <laughs> take care. Bye.